0: Do you realize you're fighting for your life? Freedom can be a captor. Truth liberates. Normalcy should be held up to scrutiny. When everything is on the line, learn how to stop living a lie. How are we doing? Welcome to you. I'm Jared, one of the pastors around here. Let's give a big shout out, big welcome to all of our campuses, uh, those who are joining us online as well. Uh, Here a couple weeks ago, we started a brand new series. It is called How to Stop Living a Lie. And the series, I think it's been really formative, hopefully, very helpful for us. It's actually based on a book uh, from a guy named John Mark Comer. Here's a picture of it. It's called Live No Lies. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Uh, go buy that book, okay? Uh, download it on the internet or listen to the Audible version. Whatever it is that you do, however it is that you consume books, go get it, read it, consume it, and allow it to help you on your discipleship journey. And then when you're done with it, uh, go buy one of his other books, okay? Like this guy, John Mark Comer, he's a, he's a wonderful uh, pastor. Uh, he is a wonderful author uh, who deeply loves the Lord and has been quite formative for a lot of people on their discipleship journey, myself included, all right? So we've been in this series and the punchline of it is that there's this daily war being waged uh, against our personal and communal peace as people who follow Jesus. There's a war uh, that, that, that's, that's being fought. And it's not a war that's being fought with weapons and AI technology. No, it is a war of lies lurking in the shadows, or maybe not so much in the shadows, maybe right out in front of us. Uh, there is an enemy. And that enemy is fighting, trying to manipulate our view of ourselves, this world, the way that we interact with it, and as Ben reminded us last week, a sobering reminder that a lot of us need is that Satan the devil is real and is present, and the primary ways in which uh, the evil opposition of this world wants to manipulate us and fight this war is through deception, through the spreading of lies. And it's interesting because psychologists have learned that one of the most difficult delusions for the human brain to decipher, to understand, is that on whether or not something is a lie or truth, right? The human brain is actually uh, more willing to accept something as true than it is a lie. Uh, Let me explain it to you this way, okay? I want to actually right now confess a lie. Can I do that? Like we are, I think, the type of people who I can confess a lie to and you're going to treat me with some grace and some respect, right? Like people who walk with Jesus, that's what we do. We offer grace to each other. Oh, come on, I sure hope so. I'm putting myself out there, folks. Come on, be with me on this. I've been living with this live for a year, okay? It was about a year ago. We were driving to Kentucky. Uh, we were making our way uh, down Interstate 71 to Louisville, where my in-laws live. And on, on the way there, I told my wife, like, let's hop off on the Pendleton exit in Henry County, and let's show the kids where I grew up. My dad and I, we built a house growing up together. Let's show them the house and kind of take them up the back roads. And so we did that, showed them the house. shot out 42, which is along winding back road. It's like a tour of my childhood, Okay. Uh, showing the kids, like, where, where I grew up, where I went to school, all that. And we come around uh, the corner on 42, and eventually we come to the place where you see the Wave 3 antenna. And here's the Wave 3 antenna. This sucker is just ginormous, okay? It's like 1,700 feet tall, this antenna. It, it, just, it, it just goes up into the sky and just kind of disappears. It is huge! We come around the corner, you see this antenna, and my son in the back, being a smart aleck, is like, Dad, wouldn't it be so cool to climb up to the top of that? And I thought, well, this would be a fun opportunity to kind of mess with them. And so I I said, son, just so happens I I did. Like when I was in high school, I climbed to the top of that thing, all the way to the tip top. Me and my buddies, Dan and Wes, we hopped the fence, we climbed to the top. You get up there kind of swaying back and forth, but you could see everything. It was incredible. And, And my daughter's like, no, you didn't, Dad. No way. No way you did. I was like, yeah, no, I really did. I was just kind of, I was laying it on thick, messing with them, doing everything I could to convince them. And uh, which eventually I was going to tell them the truth. I have not climbed to the top of that antenna, but they're just gullible and believe in me. And so I lay it on thick. We get to the place where next you like see my high school, and I forget that we are having this conversation. Oh, hey guys, look, that's where I grew up. That's where I went to high school. And uh, we, we kind of forget about this conversation. I never fess up to them. Later on that night, we get to my in-laws' house, and we're sitting there, and my little daughter Ella, who never forgets a thing. Uh, sees my my mother-in-law. She's like, guess what, Gran? My dad climbed to the top of that wave three and ten out in Oldham County. Like, isn't that so cool? And her eyes got real big and full of disappointment. I was like, well, this probably isn't the place for me to fess up that I was also lying. Uh, And so I didn't. I just kind of let it be. Uh, We move on. You know, I, I dodge it. I could change the subject. We move on with our life. Two weeks ago, my little Ella girl our babysitter, Joy, was over at the house. I don't know what she was talking about. She was like, guess what, Miss Joy? Miss Joy also happens to go to our church. My dad climbed to the top of the Wave 3 antenna in Louisville, Kentucky. And Miss Joy was like, that is not okay. It is not safe. I'm not surprised that he did it, but that is just not okay. And I thought, well, this certainly isn't the place to fess up. Now she's going to think badly about her pastor. And so I just kind of, again, dodge the subject and move on. So here I am in front of my entire church confessing my lie, okay? And today, for the first time, my kids and wife find out I didn't climb to the top of that tower. (laughs) But what struck me as interesting was how quickly I could convince them. Like, yeah, at first they were a little skeptical. But very quickly, I got them to believe. And as you know, it takes more cognitive work for the human brain to decipher a lie over truth. And a lie, it doesn't have to be a full lie. It can just be leaving out part of the truth. It can be slight fabrications, or it can just be a bold-faced lie. And when people come up to you and they say, hey, I climbed to the top of the wave three antenna, your first instinct is to say, oh, no, you didn't. I bet you didn't. But after a little bit of convincing, we are hardwired towards belief. And underneath that skepticism is a desire to believe. And I think the evil opposition of this world, Satan, he knows how we're wired. And he is pouncing on it. And the world we live in, as difficult as it might be to hear, it's it's full of lies. For many of us, myself included, uh, my relationships, the way that I interact with the world, the way I've thought about eternity, it's been shaped by lies. And the Bible says that there's a battle for truth happening in this world. Ephesians 6, it reminds us there's dark forces in the world that are battling for your soul. John chapter 10, Jesus says like, hey, here's two options. You got the thief who's come to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. There's a battle going on and the enemy has a plan not to lead you towards life. It's to lead you towards a life of sorrow and pain and sadness and death. But if we can be honest, the enemy doesn't always present it that way now does he that's not a very good sales pitch but instead through through little lies ah, the devil is sneaky half truths omitting some of the truths about what's most important about lie he knows how to get you to believe and one of the lies that the enemy is feeding us that that we tend to believe is that we deserve to do whatever it is we want to do to be completely free we deserve to be free to do whatever it is we want to do. And this can be a little bit confusing, I realize, because after all, we live in a free country, surrounded by people who have the freedom to do almost anything and everything that they want to do. You can be free to pick your religion, to pick your school, to pick your work, to pick your spouse, whether or not you want a spouse, to pick the hours that you work. You can choose and pick pretty much all aspects of your life. And if you're driven enough, well, that freedom can lead you to the place where you can get almost anything is that your heart desires. And don't get me wrong, I'm glad that we live in a a free country. This message is not meant to defend or go on the offensive about whether or not it's good to live in the land of the free. In many ways, we're blessed by that fact, the fact that that we have the freedom to do what we're doing together right now, which is just worship together freely. However, in this freedom-soaked context, the enemy is on the offensive using lies about freedom to take us towards slavery. Maybe you've heard sayings like this before. um, Just just follow your heart. The heart wants what the heart wants. Just do it. You do you. Live your truth. You're free to do whatever it is that you want to do. Just do whatever it is that's going to make You happy be true to yourself speak your truth think back to middle school okay you'd walk around with your middle school friends and you would get in a fight with one another and you'd say i'm gonna go do this thing Like, no you're not yes i am no i'm not i'm gonna go tell no you're not yes i am no you're not yes i am oh yeah i could do whatever i want because i live in a free country and with that kind of mindset well we have a problem and you know what psychology is telling us the kind of do whatever it is that makes you happy i'll do whatever i want because i have freedom doesn't really lead to happiness it's a lie that we are being sold do whatever I want and then then maybe I'll be fulfilled do whatever makes you feel good and then you will be happy but when you really get down to it that type of freedom it doesn't lead to happiness when acted upon it actually leads to despair anxiety sorrow and eventually slavery Think about it this way, okay? Good parents, uh, they set direction and boundaries for their kids, all right? A couple of years ago, uh, we moved into a single-family home. We lived in a town home in Abingdon, and then uh, this really cool opportunity came up for, uh, for us to move into a single-family home. I was really excited about it. I just needed more space. We were outgrowing our house, and uh, probably the thing I was most excited about was, like, the garage. You know, like, I, I, had, I had a garage, finally. I, I'm a garage guy, okay? We go out the house, and I, like, polished up the floors. I painted the garage. My wife was like, why are you painting the garage? I got leftover paint. Got to do something with it. So I painted the garage, put lights in there. You can be out there in the middle of the night tinkering with tools and saws and whatever else, and, like, that is my space. And I told my wife when we bought the house, like, you, you know what we need for the garage, don't you? We need a garage fridge. <laughs> because, like, all of my friends with garages, they have refrigerators in the garage. And in the garage is where you can put the stuff that you don't have space for inside. Things like, I don't know, soda, Coke. Where are my Coke people at? Pepsi people. Lord forgives you, okay? Uh, root beer, Sprite, Capri Sun, juice boxes. Like, you name it, you can put whatever you want in there. In the freezer? Some frozen pizzas, some ice cream bars, ice cream sandwiches, you know, the good stuff, right? And so what that means is for the past uh two years, every night at dinner time, we gather the family together and we 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 eat pretty healthy in our household. So we make, you know, some chicken and broccoli and rice and whatever else, and the kids get their plates and they head to the kitchen table. And my son, he'll always say, Um, uh, hey, hey dad, like do you Excited for dinner. Mom, it looks great. Good job. You did awesome. Ready to eat this. It's going to be delicious. I can tell. But do you mind if like, if I just, if I just go outside real quick to the outside fridge and get a drink? And like, I, I love you guys and I want to be a servant of all. So I'll even get you guys something. What do you want? A Coke, a root beer, uh, a Capri Sun? Like, dad, I got you. But can I go get a drink from the outside fridge? Is that cool with you? For two years, every night. And occasionally, like, yeah, son, go, go have Have yourself a root beer. That's fine occasionally, but not every night. But if I wasn't there to offer him direction, to offer some kind of boundaries, what what kind of engagement do you think my son might have with that? Well, his desire would be to drink 15 sodas and 24 ice cream bars until he makes himself sick. Maybe temporarily satisfied, but in the end, sick to his stomach. Because for every single one of us, deep down, there are some animalistic impulses that we have, these instincts to take whatever it is we want until we make ourselves sick. I'll show you a prime example here. Check out this picture. Uh, this, this is a picture of my dog, Blue, okay? Uh, yeah, don't, don't do that, okay? I know you like, everyone always says, oh, uh, you have no idea, okay? The pain this guy has caused me. This is a Labradoodle. Uh, he really is, in a lot of ways, a good dog. In many ways, uh, the Lord has used him to teach me patience and grace uh, and you know what they say about labs? They have like a stomach of steel. They can just process anything. It's no big deal. I can vouch for it. It is true. Uh, this guy has gotten through glass to get the food before, and the glass does not seem to impact him. Okay, like we find weird things that he has eaten later in the back of the yard. And, and Blue, um, well, he, he's got some instincts in him that we are trying to kind of slow down and put at bay. We had some friends over a few months ago. And uh, it's like, we're going to have a really nice dinner, grill out, hang out together outside. It was going to be so much fun. I was so looking forward to it. Went out and bought some steaks. Like, I went to sprouts, and I got the good steaks. And uh, we took those steaks, and we just kind of lined them on the counter, spent some time seasoning them. You know, preparation is part of, part of the battle here. And uh, spent some time seasoning those steaks. And uh, they looked good. They were pretty. They were ready to go on the grill. And I stepped outside for, I don't know, seven seconds. And when I came back in, uh, there was nothing left on the counter. And instead, sitting next to the counter was this dum-dum. And he was sitting there, all proud, wagging his tail, drooling. I think he had a smile, and I think he even winked at me. That dude cleared the whole counter. He ate a ton of raw meat that night. He had no idea what he was doing. He just knew I have this instinct, I have this impulse, and I am going to act upon it. And guess what he did? He spent the rest of the night in the backyard, sick to his stomach. Don't feel sorry for him. <laughs> He's still alive. If I allowed my kids just to give in to whatever it is they wanted to do, that animalistic instinct... They'd they'd gain unhealthy weight, the sugar would start to mess up their brain, they would become lazy, maybe temporarily satisfied, maybe even euphoric for a moment. But the long game, a life of giving in to your, your, your selfish and fleshly desires, it leads to your demise, not your freedom. And inside of each of us are these desires, these animalistic instincts to take whatever it is that we want until we satisfy ourselves as a parent, I know I need to set direction and I need to set boundaries and I need to help my kids to decipher what is good and what is right. And if I don't, if they just get to do whatever it is they want, they're going to end up addicted, unhealthy, unable to live life to the full. And instead of being free, they're going to be held captive under bondage, in slavery, and eventually it'll lead to death. And it turns out that, that all of us, every single one of us, we... We have a parent who loves us, who wants to offer us direction and guidance to show us how to live this life the best way possible, show us what we should be doing that will bring life and life to the full. It's our God, our Heavenly Father. But the lie that so many of us are being sold is the fact that God is a God of rules instead of love. But as we grow to understand God, we realize he's not some cosmic killjoy, right? He's not some ultimate rule enforcer that is just waiting for you to step out of bounds so that he can send you to your eternal bedroom. That is not how God rolls. But instead, he is a father who loves you and he is a good dad. And he loves us and wants us to live the best life possible. And he wants you to know where your fleshly desires lead. They lead to destruction. But the lie that the devil is selling you is the fact that God is holding out on you. It's the very lie that he sold from the very beginning. When man and woman created and God said, you have the freedom to go and rule this world. Like, like, like be fruitful and multiply. Create beautiful things. Have authority over the creatures of this space and place. But then the devil sneaks in and he says, guess what? God's holding out on you. You can have everything you want. All the power and the the fleshly selfish desire creeps up and sin and bondage and slavery enter the world. The enemy wants you to believe that your desires are right and you should do whatever you want because God doesn't want you to have a life that is full and fun. And as we give ourselves more and more to that type of mentality, the do-whatever-you-want type of mentality, happiness is not on the rise. It's only decreasing. It's like in the 1960s in American culture uh, that the personal freedom aspects of our culture started to ramp up. The the selfish mindset, the I want to do what I want to do and nobody else can tell me what to do. The pushing against any kind of authority in our lives. And since the 60s, if you look at the trajectory of Uh, Americans specifically, happiness is not on the rise. It's only decreasing. The devil's primary assault on the world is through our mind and thought. He's working to kill our joy, our happiness, and he is sneaky. Because in actuality, the the lie the devil's feeding us is that happiness comes from our misguided idea of freedom. But did you know this? Like the Bible, uh, talks a whole, whole lot about freedom. A lot. And we need, to, we need to pick up what it's putting down here because it's some really important stuff for us. And it's trajectory shifting. It's a little bit counterintuitive. Pushes against culture a little bit, but I think it's important for us. And so we're going to camp out in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to hear the words of Paul. So if you have a Bible, Bible app, you're welcome to go there with me. We're going to start with verse 1 here. And here, here's what Paul says in Galatians 5. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Like freedom, it's a good thing. Not trying to say freedom is a bad thing. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free when you understand freedom in the right context. Stand firm, then, and don't let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. You're now free because you're in Christ, but prior to that, you were under the yoke of slavery. We hear that word freedom. We often think, like, that's right, be free. Like, don't let anybody rule you, do whatever you want. But Paul, as the chapter continues to unfold, outlines a much different idea on what freedom is. And he continues in verse 13, and here's. What we read, you, my brothers and sisters, you you were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And he continues, and he says, "For the entire law is filled in keeping this one command: love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other." What Paul is doing here is he's starting to break down for us. Hey, what does it really look like to be free? Are you supposed to be free? Yes, but how do we use that freedom? Freedom ultimately comes down to the ability to choose. And According to Paul, we have two options. We could choose option one, the lie that we're being told we can indulge the flesh, we can do whatever it is we want. We can just give in to our desires, our animalistic instincts, we take what I want, I have a world that's centered around me. I can, I can look at for those in those places for contentment and joy and happiness. Turns out they're all the wrong places because Paul says that's not freedom at all. Remember? Before Christ, you were actually held captive. That kind of mentality, it leads to captivity, to slavery, to a lie. That leads us to live a life that is self-centered and we end up becoming a slave to ourselves. It leads to destruction of yourself and others. But option two, Paul says, and what scripture is revealing to us, is that real freedom is the ability to choose that which is good and do it. And it's interesting to note here, like Paul says, uh, you have options. You are free, so you can either indulge the flesh do whatever in the heck it is that you want to do, but don't remember that actually leads to slavery. Or, and what is the opposite of indulge the flesh in Paul's mind? It's to love your neighbor as yourself. That word love, it's not the lustful type of love that we so often use in our culture, but rather it's an agape type of love, a love that says, I am going to put the needs of others before my own, even if it's going to cost me something. So to Paul, the opposite of the freedom that gives into fleshly desire is the freedom to choose Christ and live like Christ in this world. And Paul, he's showing us the backwards yet stunningly beautiful way of living for Christ that that Jesus has called us to. You see, freedom in the Western culture, the freedom that we're used to, is permission to do whatever I want to satisfy the flesh. But freedom, according to the New Testament, according to Jesus, according to Paul, is the power to want and do that which is good. To want that which is good is to want Jesus, who we know brings us freedom from our sin and shame. Realizing the bondage of sin, the slavery, the chains are gone, they are broken, and now God can be at work within us, bringing us to a place of living for his goodness. And it's a tricky subject for us because We live in a world of freedom that leads us to say, just do whatever you want and you'll be happy. Like, don't have authority over you. Do whatever you want. But we know that leads to guilt, to shame, to emptiness. You're never satisfied. You ultimately become a slave to yourself, to your desires. But when we instead choose to be a slave to Christ, as Paul so often refers to it, where, where does that lead? We make Jesus Lord and Savior we allow him to be the kind of parent who can offer direction and have authority and set boundaries in our life. Well, wh- where does that lead? And 1 Peter describes it this way. I think it's beautiful. It says, that leads you to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness and into light. And he contends, he says, once you weren't a people, but now you are. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, that's a much different view than maybe how most people have of God when they think about what it looks like to submit to God's authority over our life. We're not bending the knee to some kind of tyrant who wants to create a bunch of laws and rules all the while making us serve him in his every whim. Rather, we're synchronizing our lives with a God who loves us, a father who wants to guide us and help us along the path to live the best life possible. By submitting to Jesus, by becoming a slave to Christ, we become God's special possession, his children, a chosen people, heirs. God wants to partner with us in that, not rule over us as some tyrant, but partner with his people to bring his goodness and to bring life and to bring freedom to the world. That freedom is not found in just doing whatever it is I want to do, but in realizing that the God of the universe, he loves you, he knows you, you are his special possession. You are his child. And he wants to break you free from slavery. And as he does that, you'll find a joy that you didn't know was possible. And accompanying that joy will come a reality in which you get to partner with God to transform a broken world into something holy and good, setting people free. True freedom is when you respond to Jesus freely. Freely. Then experience the breaking of those shackles to live the way God intended us to. Paul continues, he says, so I say, like walk by the spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you don't just do whatever it is that you want to do. In this world, you have one of two options, right? We're all mastered by something. We're all worshiping something. The question is, do do you wanna worship the flesh. Do you want to live by the flesh or do you want to live by the spirit? And which desire you give yourself to will ultimately shape the very trajectory of your soul. And one leads to real freedom, peace, joy, contentment, and one leads to a temporary foe kind of freedom that eventually leads to to slavery. And Paul says, let me break it down for you. Let me show you what, what your two options look like if they're lived out. And he continues, and he says, let's, let's start here with the flesh, can we? The acts of the flesh, they're obvious. They're sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is more than just talking about going to heaven. It's talking about bringing heaven to earth. It's about experiencing eternity while we're still alive. The kingdom of God that is in us now. The kingdom of God is here. It is present, and it is is available. You read that list, don't you just like tense up a little bit? Like a little bit. And can't you feel it? To live, to do whatever I want is, is consequences, and we see the consequences of that in our world today. Leads to the spread of disease, sexual abuse, adultery, divorce, a hookup culture that has stripped sex from the beautiful intimacy that it was created for. Cancel culture, credit card debt, piling up, politics, disunity, friendships that are tarnished and broken over difference of opinions that are silly. Uh, the need to always take a side in alienating and hating the people on the other side. Envy. A life that's addicted to scrolling to see what else I can get myself into, masking our pain with substance, looking for the next buzz or orgasm, running our minds down with a binging of Netflix, workaholism, comparison, secretly hating others who have stuff that you wish you had. You read that list and you start to grapple with it, and you realize that everything on there you are free to do. But it won't bring you joy. It won't bring you peace. It won't bring you goodness. It won't bring you contentment. It certainly won't make you free. It will only lead you further into captivity and idolatry. I mean, th- think about how it feels to read that list. Like, you kind of tense up. You could feel it. Like, if there's any ounce of spiritual formation happening in you, then you read that list and you think, I, I don't want to be like that. Maybe it's hidden back here in the back. I don't want to be like that. And guess what? All of us have an ounce of spiritual formation happening in us because every single one of us was created in the image of God. We have God's worth and God's values in us. Because of that, behind the surface is this tension of anxiety and fear and frustration that comes with a life of giving in to the flesh. And some of us, we're, we're living in the freedom to choose this right now. And we're here today because it's not working out for us. We're looking for something better. There's got to be more to this life. Because I feel like no matter how hard I try, I can't break the shackles. And so Paul, he goes on to do a little comparison for us. And he says, okay, let, let me show you what it might look like uh, to, to give in to the Spirit. And just just track how your body feels, how your mind feels, how your soul feels as we read this list. And he says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, it's it's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's forbearance, it's kindness, it's goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And check this out. Against these things, there is no law. Just go and freely live into them. You tracking? You read that list? Don't you just feel a little bit relieved? Man, if I, if I could live like that, if that could be what people think of when they say, if I could have that feeling in my gut and my heart and my soul and my mind, where I live in a place where, where I'm full of love and, and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and, and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, and, no, and I'm pushing against the, the stuff that pushes against my self-control. If I'm able to live like that, like doesn't that start to kind of knock down the anxiety, your shoulders drop, and you find you're in a place of realizing that th- this is how you can live that brings you actual freedom. And that's the kind of fruit that grows out of the soil of spirit. When people walk with Jesus, when they walk in spirit, this is the type of people they become. They become loving, joyful, unanxious, unhurried, helpful, good. And we find freedom freedom from shame and freedom from addiction and from jealousy and anxiety in the world's control. And instead we feel once and for all like we are finally free to live into peace and joy and happiness the way that God intended it to be. I see, freedom's not found in just choosing the flesh, doing whatever it is we want to do. It's found by submitting to God, the God who loves us, the God who has made a way for us to overcome our shame and our guilt and instead move to a place where the very things we want are the things that he wants to do through us. And we can live freely in those. Paul continues. He says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus what have they done? They've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This passage, I want to pause here for just a moment. When we walk in step with the Spirit, that's when we find freedom. But first, uh, we have to crucify the flesh. And I think this is important to maybe just to pause on and spend a second talking about because oftentimes what people think of is if I, if I believe there's a God and I submit to a God, that means I have a God who's going to watch my every move. And every time I screw up, he's going to be there ready to kind of smack me down and say, I can't believe you did that. When the picture the Bible paints of our God and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, is that he was crucified so that we no longer have to feel the shame. We might feel guilt. Guilt is good. It's like pain to the body. It says, hey, something's wrong. You should correct that. But we don't live with shame because we have crucified the flesh. And now that we are under the lordship of Jesus, we realize he has paid the price once and for all. And when I screw up, which I will, I know I don't have a God who's sitting there waiting to smack me down. But one instead who's sitting there to help me up and love me and wrap his arms around me. I am his child. He loves me. He wants to offer me direction. And so often we see God as a rule maker. When in actuality, God is wanting to set a new trajectory. We crucify the flesh. 2 Corinthians says, when you are in Christ, the old is gone and the new is here. Our life isn't about avoiding sin when we're in Jesus. It's about pursuing righteousness. It's not about who we stop being. It's about who we are becoming. Since then, we are now with Jesus. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Freedom isn't about liberating ourselves from authority as much as it is liberating ourselves from sin and realizing that Christ does that and that helps us to overcome our self-centered desires to gratify the flesh and instead it leads us to our deepest desires to live a life that knows and reflects the very love of Christ. And the beautiful part about all of this is the more that we give ourselves to the Spirit the more that we engage with the Spirit, the more the Spirit grows within us and the more the flesh is squeezed out. Like we, we tend to point our minds in a certain direction. I don't know if you've noticed this. You start to create habits in your life. You, you point your mind in a certain direction. And when you do that, what happens? Well, naturally, you start to want more of that. Like if it's a friend that you mimic, you kind of are acting like, you start to act more like that person. You give yourself more and more to something. You start to, you start to create these grooves in your brain, these ruts in your brain. And it starts to drag you in that direction. Every time you try to detour, you fall back into the rut. And so the question is, what is it that you're giving yourself to? Are you giving yourself to the flesh, or are you giving yourself to the spirit? And if you give yourself to the spirit, then you're naturally going to go that direction. If you give yourself to the flesh, you're going to go that direction. The flesh is sneaky. Little lies, little half-truths. No one will notice if you cheat a little bit on that test. You just get that one answer, you know you're good. no, No one will notice if you just have a few more. It's fine. If it makes you feel good, do it. Uh, no one will notice if you, if you work those long. I mean, you got to work longer. you got to make more money for the family, right? Like, forget about all that others. Like, let that consume you. not well, watching that. I mean, you're not watching the stuff those people are. You just watch that. It's fine. Listen to that. That's fine. If we give ourselves to the flesh, that rut becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, and we find ourselves in that trajectory. But if we give ourselves to the Spirit... We start to carve those grooves and those lines into our brain. We give ourselves the Spirit. It eventually starts to feed off of its own energy and it culminates in Christ's likeness in us. The things we do do something to us. And so I say, live by the Spirit. We fully attack the flesh. Not by avoiding sin, but by fully leaning into the Spirit. Every time you practice a habit of Jesus, the Spirit gets stronger and the flesh gets a little bit weaker. Little habits over time, they add up. We all know this. It's called compound interest, right? You start saving now and you save for a long, long time. Eventually, there's a whole lot in there. And the same is true of the Spirit. The more we give ourselves to the Spirit now, and if we stay consistent with it, eventually the Spirit starts to feed off of itself and it just goes out of control in our lives. And the most beautiful way, and it leads us to freedom. So what might it look like for you to cultivate some habits of the spirit in your life? What little habits can you start to implement that can build upon themselves and lead you towards spirit desires? Maybe it's as, as simple as starting with um, there's just a five minute timer every day. You, you get out your phone you get out your phone right now if you want to and you can set a, an alarm for tomorrow and that alarm Uh, It's just going to be five minutes, ten minutes set aside just to think about God. It's as simple as that. That, That's a little habit of sowing the Spirit, of investing in the Spirit. You know, maybe you're going to pray. Maybe you're going to read the Bible. Maybe you're just going to be quiet and you're going to allow the Lord to speak to you. Maybe you're just going to think of the ways in which God is good and is blessing you. One little habit. Another one, this is going to blow your mind. Ben talked about it last week. Turns out this is a good habit for people who want to sow the Spirit to be into. Uh, Read read your Bible. Like, come on, it's cliche. I know, but guess what? It contains the truth, and the truth will set you free. As we invest in the Bible. Do you, do you know how to tell if somebody's lying? It's by knowing the truth. Like the way you know if something is a lie is by knowing what is actually true. And the Bible is chocked full of truth for us. We just got to invest some time in it. And the point of the Bible is not to read through it. It's to get it through us. Slow down and open your Bible and allow it just to be in you. Maybe it's to to form some relationships with some people who know the real you. And think about your relationships. They're, they're people you're lying to. Because they, if they knew the real you, like, holy cow, hang on. You're not going to like that guy. That guy lied about climbing a tower a year ago. <laughs> people you can really confess to. You can share your vulnerabilities to. Because confession... Leads to refreshment. To have people. And the habit that John Mark Comer pushes really hard on in the book, Live No Lies, is a habit called fasting. You know what I don't like very much? Fasting. I like to eat all the meals. But in his book, he reminds us that the lack of a presence of fasting is very much a modern trend as our selfishness has increased some of our spiritual disciplines have decreased and he reminds us that all throughout the scriptures we see fasting as a really important spiritual habit. because what you're doing is you're saying i'm going to take a chunk of time and i'm not going to give in to my desire But instead, in the uncomfortable place that fasting leads us to, I'm going to sit in a posture of having joy and dependence on Jesus. I used to fast uh, by just doing other things. You know, like I'd fast and then I'd go, like, I don't work on my house or write for a sermon or or whatever. When we take time to fast, to feel the grumbling in our belly, and then we create space to remember the Lord is good and the Lord will provide and the Lord is presence. Well, that helps us to squeeze out the fleshly desire and elevate the desire of the Spirit. So what are you giving yourself to? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Give an end to whatever we want to do it doesn't actually lead to freedom it leads to bondage it leads to slavery it leads to us giving end to our selfish impulses over and over again and it leads us nowhere good but if we can start now to sow some habits in ourselves in our family and our community it's going to change us it's going to lead us to real freedom and so let me encourage you. Like when you leave here today, I know it's like well, it's like eleven o'clock. You guys are getting hungry, aren't you? Maybe, maybe you, as a whoever you came with, a friend, a coworker, a family member. Whatever, maybe today you fast, and you spend some time together, saying, "Hey, what kind of habits can we sow as a community? This isn't just about you and Jesus. It's about us. We are God's church. We are His handiwork. Together, what kind of habits can we sow that might lead?" the Spirit's compound interest in our life taking over. And when we look at the account, there is more than we could ever have imagined. Sowing in the Spirit. Every action that we take leads to a reaction. Oftentimes equal reaction, but also oftentimes more substantial. And the reaction of Sowing spiritual deposits in our lives, it leads to Christlikeness, contentment, generosity, love, a desire to serve others, bringing heaven to earth. And as Paul says in Second Corinthians, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, friends, that that is where we truly experience freedom. Let's pray. God, you you are good. And God, sometimes the lie that we need to overcome is the one that says you are not and that you are pushing against our our desire to experience life that is full and happy and joyful and, and beautiful. So God, today, challenge each of us to understand what it means to be free in you, to give our lives to you and experience that when we when we sync up with you, our Heavenly Father, the one who loves us, who wants to guide us, who wants to point us in the right direction, we, we so of the Spirit, the fruit that comes from it is beautiful and it's good. And God, it helps us to know that we are free because it sows love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. God, against such things there is no law. Lord, help us to live like free people. We love you, Jesus.